So the past uh, four weeks, or this being the fourth week, we have been talking about this question, how can we fix Clarksburg? And there's a lot of opinions out there about how that can happen. We can fix the roads, amen, right? How many of y'all be excited about that, right? Woo, yeah. I drive in a Jeep, and half the time I feel like I'm on the back of a horse or something like that because of the bumps that are all over the place. Uh, another thing people think is a good idea is to demolish blighted homes. Another people uh, think that a good idea to how we could fix our city would be to get a Hobby Lobby, right? Amen, right? That'd be great. I know my wife would be psyched about that. But the last few weeks we've been asking this question, how can we fix Clarksburg? And what we've said and what we've admitted is that we can't. We can't. Why? Because we can change things for a little while and things can get better. But ultimately, what we have is the problem that every other city has in America. And that's a people problem. And as people, as humans, we are selfish and we always direct everything towards ourselves. And the only real and long-term fix is Jesus. Amen? But it's more than just a head knowledge of religion and doctrine. It's a heart knowledge and a relationship. Understanding who God is and where we stand before him. Ultimately, this city needs the gospel. Not just intellectually, but driven into every corner of our hearts. Now, putting our faith in Jesus Christ is the first step, that first relationship. When we ask him to save us, we put our faith on him. But the gospel change doesn't stop there. Here's what we've said, that we must know and that this broken city must know. These four truths. Number one. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make God love me any more. And nothing that I have done that would make God love me any less. Number two, God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Number three, as God has been with me, so I will be with others. See, the clearest mark of God's grace in your life is a generous spirit towards others. Imagine if the broken people across our city began to believe these things. And they began to believe that they were made in the image of God and that their maker loves them so much. That they're not an accident. They're not a mistake. They can't earn their salvation because Jesus already paid for it. See, there are so many that are searching for purpose and meaning in life. And the gospel is the fix. And the broken people in this city, the hopeless in this city, need to hear it. I can't gain God's approval because I already have it. And because God has been gracious to me, I'm going to strive to be just as gracious to others. So far, these truths have encouraged us to consider the freeness of God's acceptance to us and the worth that we should place on that acceptance and how it calls us to a radical response in generosity towards others. And lastly, number four, the final truth pushes us to have a radical faith and to attempt great things for God. And that's this. I'll measure God's compassion by the cross, and his power by the resurrection. So there were many times in God's word where people stepped out. 
And it wasn't always because God specifically told them with an audible voice to go and do so. But rather, because these people perceived what God probably wanted to do, and then they asked him to do it. You've probably heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? Or if you grew up on VeggieTales like I did, it was Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? But King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the much, uh, much of the known world. And he'd built a giant idol of himself. Can you imagine doing that? I just can't even fathom. Just be like, all right, guys, this is what I want you to do. I want you, I'm going to pose for this big, giant idol. I want you to put it up everywhere so that everybody can worship me. But this is what the guy thought about himself. And then he gathered all the nations in every tribe and language in all the earth to come and bow down at that statue and worship him. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they couldn't bow to anyone but the one true God. Well, as often happens, when you stand up for something, you're going to stick out. And these three young men stuck out, and the king noticed. And he threatened to throw them in a huge fiery furnace that may have been used to harden bricks like a kiln or even to harden pottery. But if you look at the reply to the king... After the king threatens them with throwing them in this fire, there's this strange mix of certainty and uncertainty. Let me see, let me tell you what I mean. It's in Daniel 3:17. This is what they said. They said, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They sound pretty confident right there, right? They sound like they're ready to go. Name it and claim it, right? They're just ready. They know what's going to happen. We have faith that God will rescue us. But then look at the next verse. Verse 18, it says, but if not. But if not. What happened to their confidence? They said God will deliver us. God can deliver us. But If not, see, they had faith that God would do something, that he wouldn't allow this man to take praise that God deserved. But they realized also that they weren't main characters in this story, that God is and God always is in every story across history. It is not about us. God is always the main character. They were confident that God was going to save them, but they realized that ultimately God's glory was what was the most important and that God was always going to give glory to himself. See, when the Bible says King Nebuchadnezzar gathered all the people in every tribe and every nation, this is important because this was the first time that had happened since the Tower of Babel where God had scattered all the people. And now they gathered by this, they were gathered by this egomaniac king who thought he was God. Now, God promised that one day in the future he was going to gather every tribe, every nation around him again to worship him. But this was not the time, and this king was not God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God wasn't going to allow this to happen. God wasn't going to stand by and let this uh, king get the praise that he deserved. And the amazing thing is, is that God didn't deliver them from the fiery furnace. He delivered them through the fiery furnace. And everyone knew that God was the one true king, not Nebuchadnezzar. 
See, they did go in, but God brought them out unharmed. They stepped out. They stepped out, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. Now, before David went to fight Goliath, God didn't draw up a plan like a football play. Like, hey, Goliath's going to go, and he's going to start mocking me. And here's what I want you to do. You're going to go to King Saul. The armor's not going to fit. And then you're going to go find five uh, smooth stones, and then we're going to whoop this boy. He didn't have some plan. David didn't know what was going to happen. David saw a situation where he knew what God wanted to do. He knew it wasn't okay for this giant to mock God. And then he dared God to do something about it. And dare is the right word too. In Joshua 1.9, God had told Joshua to be strong and courageous. Well, that word strong there in the original language has the idea of being daring. Not being cautious, but being daring for God. The book of Joshua goes on to tell stories of many other daring people of God as well, including Caleb. Caleb was 85. How many are 85 out there? Yeah, we don't have very many of them. But Caleb was 85, and he said, God's not done with me yet. And as they're going into the promised land, they're conquering lands, and they're doing things, and Caleb sees a mountain, and Caleb says, hey, that's my mountain. I'm conquering it in the name of God. I still have a part to play. I'm not retired even though I'm 85 years old. God has still put a heartbeat in my lungs, and I still have something to do for God. God, give me that mountain. And as an 85-year-old man, he went and conquered that mountain in the name of God. He was daring. This was his part to play. He knew that God had promised that land to his people and said, I might as well be the one to do something about it. I'm not just going to go around and tell everyone how, hey, you know, this mountain over here, God, you, you should probably do something about it. No, he said, I see a problem and I'm going to fix that problem. Hey, I see something God wants done and I'm going to step into it. Esther went uninvited before King Artaxerxes to stand up for God's people. She did not know whether the king would put her to death or not. And she said in the face of that death, she said, if I perish, I perish. She was daring. And God saved Esther and his people. See, God loves to fight for his people when they see what his will is and they take him on a dare to do something about it. See, the gospel shows us the compassion that God has for each person that he's created. For God so loved the world that he gave. But God put his power on wondrous display also through the resurrection. Do we really believe that God has the compassion and the power that the gospel reveals him to have? Do we really think that we serve that same God that laid down his life for people and then had the power to raise himself from the dead? Is that still who we have faith, that God is today? See, God's power and his love were on display on the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who us are being saved, it is the power of God. That's all we have is the cross, the love that was on display and the power that was revealed through the resurrection. I love my children, and I would like to think that I would do anything in my power to save them. 
But how much more does a perfect heavenly father love each broken person in Clarksburg and is willing to do anything in his power to save them? But for some strange reason, God chose us. God chose you. Everybody point at yourself. Say, God chose me. God chose me. Oh, that was terrible. Let's do it again. God chose me. God chose us to be the hands and the feet of his will. And he commands us to go. He commands us to preach. He commands us to give the gospel. And you say, well, I'm pretty shy, Pastor Phil. It doesn't matter. If you have the gospel, the command is to give the gospel. Well, I'm an introvert. It doesn't matter. Well, I have a past. It doesn't matter. If you have the gospel, the command is for you to give the gospel. See, church, it's not enough for us to have just have the facts. It's not enough for us just to have correct doctrine. The gospel has to push into our hearts and then be pushed out in our actions. If we just sit around and put ourselves on a pedestal for having right doctrine, then we miss the point of the gospel. Tim Keller says this. He says, it's possible for us to subscribe to every sound doctrine and nevertheless fail to communicate the gospel to people's hearts in a way that brings about repentance and joy and spiritual growth. One way that this happens is through dead orthodoxy, in which such pride grows in our doctrinal correctness that sound teaching and right church practice becomes a kind of works righteousness. Carefulness in doctrine and in life is, of course, critical, but when accompanied in a church by self-righteousness, Mockery, disdain of everyone else, and contentious and combative attitude. It shows that while the doctrine of justification may be believed, a strong sense of legalism still reigns nonetheless. And the doctrine has failed to touch our hearts. What does that mean? It means if we sit around and we say we're the best church in town, we've got everything right to a T, but we have no love, then it's just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. If we don't actually walk out the gospel, we know the gospel, but we don't live out the gospel, then it is dead. So that's the question. Do we measure God's compassion by the cross and his power by the resurrection? See, God has placed this church in Clarksburg and in Harrison County. Well, do we see the people around us, our mission field, through the compassion that God has for them? Or are we quick to write them off? Oh, that's just an addict. There's not much hope for them. Oh, that's a nominal Christian. They only show up on Christmas and Easter. It's one of those type of people. I bet God isn't happy with them. I bet they will never change. Oh, that's just a liberal. They have no morals. We're quick to write people off and to say that those type of people aren't our type of people. But that limits the compassion that God has for them and the power that he possesses to save them. Every single person that comes in ought to be celebrated. Whether they're an addict, whether they're a liberal, or whether they're people that only show up on Christmas and Easter, they are souls that God loves and we should never write somebody off. See, each person you drive by, you live by, you work with is a soul that Jesus died for and has compassion for. And if you write that person off, you're not realizing that if God 
only created that person, that he still would have died for them. See, God's arms are not weak or short that there are people outside of his grasp. In fact, it takes no less power for God to save a murderer as it did for God to save my sinful soul. God has the compassion and the power to reach every atheist, every creaster, and every person in Harrison County. With that in mind, I wonder, I wonder if God's working on someone's heart to do something daring. Maybe God's been working on your heart for a while and you've kind of just been looking around wondering when somebody else is going to do something about it. I wonder if there's some people that would step out and trust that God has the compassion and the power to shake up this town. Instead of looking around and feeling hopeless and defeated, trying to dream up, dream up ways that we could live somewhere else or move this church to some suburb where we didn't have so many problems. But what if we said like Caleb did? I want to conquer this land for the kingdom of God. People have asked me uh, met several times. I'm not sure. I must just have one of those kind of faces or something like that. But they've asked me uh, pretty much since I came, like, how long do you think you're going to be here? I'm like, geez, I just got here. What the heck? <laughs> but they asked me, how long do you want to stay at Clarksburg Baptist Church? Look, I don't know what God's will is, but I want to stay until this place is turned around for the kingdom of God. I know and I trust and I believe that God loves the people of this city far more than I ever could. And that he has the power to fix this city. And I want to be here when he does. And what we need is some daring people. We need some daring people. And I think we have some people in this room that will say that I'm going to step out and do something that I believe God wants to see happen. And I know it might be hard, but I'm ready for the fight. And if my reputation perishes, it perishes. But I believe, God, that you have the power and the desire to see people changed by the gospel. And I have the faith, God, that you will see it through. But if not, I will still praise you. And if you don't respond right away, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to realize that God can work good even through unanswered prayer, and I'm never going to stop believing. Missionary William Carey in uh, 1792 preached the message, and during which he said one of his most famous quotes, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. The next year, he traveled to India with his wife and his family, but he struggled. For seven years, he saw no conversions. His son, Peter, died of dysentery. His wife's mental health deteriorated uh, rapidly, and this is what he said. He said, this is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me, but I rejoice that I am here notwithstanding, and God is here. In 1800, he baptized his first convert to Christianity. And over the next 20 years, he went on to translate the Bible into dozens of major Indian languages and dialects. And he also founded a college to train local ministers. See, William Carey was daring with the gospel. In Myanmar, it took Adoniram Judson 12 years to see his first 18 converts. But by the time he died, he established 100 churches with over 8,000 members. The Baptist Church in Myanmar still celebrates Judson Day every year to commemorate his arrival to the country. These two men dared God to do something, even when it seemed like it wasn't working. 
I think as Christians, we're far too quick to quit. We're far too quick to quit before we even start to say this isn't working out. This isn't going the way that I thought it was going to. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. I I know, I feel like God wanted me to do this, but I'm not seeing any results, so I'm going to quit. But we need to push, push, push forward. When we see in in our city, in our town, in our families, that God probably wants to do this. I think this is God's will. Why? Because this is a good thing, a change that God can make. I know his heart, and I know that he wants this to happen in someone's life. And I'm going to keep praying about it. I'm going to keep pushing towards it. We need to push these truths deep into our hearts, letting them change our emotions, our opinions, and our priorities. Let's say these four things. You say them with me. Number one, throw it up there. There we go. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make God love me any more and nothing I have done that would make God love me any less. Number two, God's presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Number three, as God has been with me, so I will be with others. And number four, I'll measure God's compassion by the cross and his power by the resurrection. This city needs some daring people. People that aren't scared to radically love people. People that aren't scared to step out, even uh, for God, even when they don't have all the details yet. People that are willing to give up their plans for the gospel. To say, yeah, God, I knew at this time in my life, I really thought I was going to be there. I thought this was going to happen, God, but clearly I see something that I know that you're not okay with. Some injustice, some person that's suffering, someone that needs the gospel. I see this, and I know your heart, God, and I'm going to pray until you help me accomplish this. Do we really believe that God passionately loves every person in Harrison County? And do we really believe that God has the power to change every person in Harrison County? Can we say that? Can we say, God, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Now, we did this a few weeks ago as the band comes. And I don't know about you, but I loved it. This morning, I'm going to ask you one more time to uh, let's gather up into groups of three and four people. Because we've got a big responsibility in this city. We've got people that need the hope that is only found in the gospel. But I'm going to ask you again to go and find two or three people to pray with this morning as they play here in a second. Men with men, women with women, couples with couples. If you feel uncomfortable with leading in prayer, that's okay. Just make that known. But I believe a church that prays together can make a difference. A church that's not scared to to go and circle up and say, God, we can't do this on our own. I know it's a little weird. I know it's a little bit uncomfortable. But I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just sitting in rows and doing nothing. I want to see God do amazing things in our town. And that's only going to come when we say, God, it's all about you. God, I put myself to the side. 
Let's pray, number one, that God would push the truth of the gospel deep into our hearts. And that we would believe these things. But also that the gospel would flow out of our hearts and down the streets of Clarksburg. Because we know that the gospel is the fix. Let's break up. Let's take five, ten minutes. Pray with each other. Don't let anyone be alone. You see someone at the end of your pew that's by themselves. You say, hey, come on here. Let's get a little bit weird. Let's get a little bit uncomfortable. And let's admit that we can't do this without Jesus.